Welcome, friends, to the True Myth Media Podcast, a conversational cinema community. I'm your host, Michael McDonald, and this week, I watched the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, after getting an extremely strong recommendation from a friend and longtime creative collaborator, Todd Lewis. He's a filmmaker and mainstay actor of the Grand Rapids theater scene. And of course, as usual, I wanted to discuss the movie with him, so that conversation is our feature this week. This episode covers a lot of ground, so something in it is bound to get your brain working a little bit. If you want to share some of the thoughts this discussion or the film prompted in you, I hope you'll call in to our voicemail line, 616-287-0275, or write a response and email me, michael at truemythmedia.com. We'd love to hear your voice and opinions as this community really shines the more we share, listen, and converse together. With that, I'll play my conversation with Todd Lewis about the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. Yeah, you posted that you thought this was a really important movie for people to watch, The Social Dilemma. Mm-hmm. Um, I, It's interesting because I've been feeling more and more like I wanted to address some like social media issues and things like that in some of my writing. Um, and actually, I was really surprised because when you get to the end of this movie, they've got like these tech gurus, the people that really, you know, formed the landscape that we you know, inhabit right now, talking about like their digital practices and, you know, some of the things that they, they have decided not to do in their life. And I'm like, oh man, that's like some of the stuff that I was talking about doing. And um, cause I was kind of looking at it from the perspective of, you know, as a Christian, uh, you know, taking the idea of like spiritual disciplines, uh, you know, like prayer and uh, fasting and uh, giving alms, but then trying to think of what some of their corollaries in the digital landscape would be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so like I had come up with some of them where they're like about, uh, you know, I don't, I don't tend to post uh, like really important things uh, in people's Facebook feeds. I private message them. You know, that's like an act of discipline on my part in like trying to combat some of the the normal reactions that we have to things. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when you were talking about this movie, I was like, oh, that sounds like something that would be right up my alley. Um, and wow. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, there's so much to unpack. And yeah. Yeah, this will probably be a little bit different than, uh, you know, other episodes because like for the most part, like the documentary itself, as far as like from a filmmaking perspective is not super remarkable. Um, You know, it's a pretty standard uh, informational documentary. Um, It's done well. It's done well. There are some things I want to talk about in the format that I think they did an extraordinary job with. Okay. um, That I think make it, uh, make it actually a really great documentary uh, to me. Okay. I, yeah, I'm interested to hear that because like, to me, it felt kind of standard. Um, but I thought, I felt, I felt like the content in it, it's one of those things where I feel like we all kind of know it, but we don't, we haven't really incorporated it into our mindset and really deep into who we are and thinking about just how, how pervasive the social media has become and just to what degree we are affected by it. All right. So this is, this is good. Are we rolling now? Is this part of the, uh, this is is the thing. This is the, okay. So we started. All right. Uh, Cause yeah, this is, I just roll and like, wherever I feel like we start talking about something interesting, that's where I started. That's where you started. Okay. (laughs) Well, good. Yeah. Um, 
then I'm sorry, go ahead with that because I'm like, oh man, this is good. This is gold, Jerry. This is gold. We got to <laughs> save this for the actual podcast. And you know, we're podcast. You didn't start rolling when I was like in the bathroom earlier. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Cause I'm just, you know, like if, if this podcast started like eight hours ago, it's going to be the most boring podcast ever. So. <laughs> no, I, I just, I feel like it's one of those things where I, I doubt there's many people that you could go up to on the street and say, hey, do you think social media is having a negative effect on our lives? I, most people would say, yeah. They would say, oh, it's a mixed bag. There's some good, there's some bad. But most, I don't think anybody would be super surprised to find out that studies show that social media has a dramatically negative effect on people. I, you know, that's a good question. I, I think we should take this this uh, podcast on the road right now. We should start interviewing people on the street because I'd be curious to see what the answer to that is. How many people would either a actually feel that that it, that you know, or or it, does it feel more negative than positive in some ways mm-hmm. or not? You know, or that would if they even if they did feel that would acknowledge it to us and to themselves because we've become so addicted to yeah that social media to and which is a large part of what this documentary is about is about how it's it's no accident it's completely designed to do that but i i think that is an an interesting question i think uh, and i certainly think parents yeah. would have a a very different potentially different uh viewpoint on that or even teenagers might have a different uh view on that than uh you know single people that just use it here and there to stay in contact with people across the states or like one of the things that it brought up in the movie is like you know when you grew up you know i'm a millennial Mm -hmm. um i'm one of the older millennials so like i i remember growing up without phones without the internet all of those things and they they bring up in the movie that what was it the people that are born in like 90 or maybe towards 2000 like that's really the first generation of people who grow up with the internet as a part of their everyday life Mm -hmm. Um, they don't know what the world without the internet looks like and I I suppose that's probably a a big breaking point too like people who actually remember what it used to be like probably see some of the negatives a little more Um, and it's it's a it's a contextual thing absolutely it's it's because we and and I think it's 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 akin in some ways I think to uh, violence in video games. Uh, just go with me here for a second on this one because I, I think there, you know, if we as adults can play a violent video game, maybe uh, not mm-hmm. necessarily our taste, uh, but you know, we could play a violent video game and potentially separate the reality of what that would be like in real life from playing the game, whereas a five-year-old child, an eight-year-old child playing that game might, and psychologists would would say that they may have more difficulty separating those two Mm -hmm. things. And because we remember and and have context for what life was before these devices, before these technologies were an appendage of ours, you know, like they are now, um, we, I think, have grown into a better understanding of what separates our social media presence from who we are as a true individual, whereas teenagers, children, even some adults now, some of them who may be in very high up places running this country, for example, (laughs) um, maybe identify exactly who they are based almost solely 
on that digital presence. And that's, I think, one of the great dangers that the social dilemma points out. Yeah, because like even even though I have been aware of that danger and, you know, I'm certainly not the most tech savvy person, but I'm pretty well read. And so I have known for a long time that like the algorithms are, you know, basically putting us into silos and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but there, there really was something about this movie that like I've been thinking about getting off of Facebook for a long time. And by the end of this movie, it was uninstalled from my phone. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Cause I was like, okay, that, you know, I was already on my way there and this just like pushed it over the edge. You know, I'll still use Facebook messenger and, you know, talk to my friends through that and everything. But when I think about what value have I really gotten out of Facebook in the last six months to a year, it's really not much. No, no, this is a, this is a particularly fascinating time for this documentary to have come out. Now, I don't know when they started making this documentary. Well, they There's definitely things referenced the, in it that say that it's right now. Yeah. They, they, they reference COVID-19. Now I'm, I'm, I, because of how it's made, I, I feel like they started making this well, be, well before COVID-19 yeah. because they have reenactment scenes where there are actors together in a room doing pretty famous that. actors too. And you know what, that's, I, I, I want to say a couple of things about the documentary itself that I think really made it a wonderful documentary is that's one of them. I think the quality of the actors that they have playing these, they're not even reenacted scenes. They're dramatic scenes yeah. that are designed to uh, represent what an awful lot of general people in the world are probably feeling in I, regards to their social media. I presence. look at them almost as like object lessons. Yeah, object lessons. Or yeah, like, an, like a fable or something. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's, they're a parable. They're a, an example of what a lot of It's a way of helping doing. people wrap their head around what is ultimately a mathematical thing that's happening behind the screen. You know, like what the computers are doing is so insanely complex it is just easier for people to wrap their heads around it if you have Vincent Carthizer playing the different algorithms and making it a little, the guy from Mad Men. Right. You know. Well, and the and the family, the family yeah. unit, I thought did did an incredible job. And I, I think there's no accident that this movie is called The Social Dilemma because yeah. there are a lot of similarities to this film in some ways, interestingly enough, to the movie The Social Network, mm -hmm. which I feel like those two films did something very extraordinary for me personally anyway. And that is they took a subject that on the surface should be incredibly boring and should be very technical and should just be, you know, uh, yeah. Social Network by any other director and any other writer would have been a movie of the week. Um, but David Fincher, coupled with Aaron Sorkin, turned it into what ended up being my favorite movie of that year. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, Social Dilemma, in many ways, did a lot of the things that I think the social network did, which was it took something very, it took an algorithm. I mean, this whole movie is about algorithms that have been created by humans to manipulate humans, uh, to manipulate human psychology. And that could be very boring as they're going through how this works and here's the technology behind it, blah, blah, blah. And instead what they decided to do was they said, let's watch how this is affecting a fictional family, but a family mm -hmm. that you could see it being your family. And those actors, I thought all of them did an extraordinary job. I mean, mm -hmm. really great job that they could have very easily been 
day players that, you know, were not very strong actors, but they all did an amazing job. And that put a human touch on this documentary that was so very needed. And another mm -hmm. thing that reminded me very much of The Social Network is the score. Uh, this score was Atticus uh, Ross and and Trent oh really? Reznor. I mean, it wasn't. But oh okay, I mean, but like okay, okay. I was like, when wow. I was watching it, I kept thinking, oh my gosh, I got to watch the credits and see did did Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross do this because it it, it reminded me a lot, and I am sure it is no accident uh, to the Social Network in that way. Yeah, to me, the thing that stood out um, as you know, me, you and I have worked on documentary stuff before together and the thing that stood out to me wasn't so much like the acting parts it was how complicated it must have been for these producers to get these people to be able to talk about these things with all the ndas they must have signed over their lifetimes right. like the the legal loopholes that they probably had to jump through in order to get the, like the undertaking to to get all of those people to talk on the record about you know potentially you know things that could uh really hurt facebook really hurt google mm -hmm. um and people's public perception of those companies i i i thought that that was really admirable that uh they really went after like they could have gotten just some you know for all i know about those people like they didn't have to get the top guy to talk about these things. They could have gotten somebody that's just very well educated, just right. people that are college professors and don't have any any stake in this. But, you know, they're really they're really talking to the people who are who are leading the forefront of where computing was going uh as Facebook and all these companies rolled out, Twi like the guy who uh the guy at Twitter talking about um, you know, or the guy who invented the like button. <laughs> right. Yeah. I <laughs> you mean, know? these are these are the people. And and you just hit on the thing that I feel is the most brilliant thing about this entire film, yeah. which is how it opens. This film opens, first of all, it opens with a quote that uh, goes back to what you were just kind of asking. If you were to poll people on the street and say, has social media been done more good than it has bad or vice versa? And the quote it starts with, Sophocles, nothing vast enters the life of mortals without a curse. Yeah. And that's the, that's the very beginning of the film. And then what it does after that is the brilliance of this film. And it is, it shows people we don't know yet sitting down, ready to be interviewed. You know, they're mm -hmm. checking the lights and do I sound okay? How do I look? And okay? they're checking their phones and stuff too. And all this stuff. And then they have these clips one right after another of each of these people saying who they are and what companies they work for or used to work for. So right out of the gate, they're saying, Oh my gosh, here's a guy from Facebook, from Google, from Twitter, from Snapchat. From and not Apple. just people that worked in low levels. These are, you know, these senior people. vice presidents. These are the, the yeah. people that created these things. They sit in meetings with Mark Zuckerberg. They sit in, like, they have direct control over what happens. Yeah. And the, they're all saying we left those companies because we were scared of what they were doing. Right. And, and so right out of the gate, the us watching this film, it immediately has an immense sense of credibility because yeah. these are not psychologists sitting around saying, well, we theorize that this is what's happening or tech people saying, well, we think this is what Facebook's algorithms are doing. These are the people who create in many instances, 
created the actual algorithm that they themselves admit to being addicted to. And I found that fascinating myself. Yeah, when when they get towards the end of the movie and the one guy is and they're saying like, you know, how do we fight this? And the the one guy says, it's kind of funny because you're asking me how to solve the problem that I started. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, they are talking to the people. Right. Um, and I think that that really... Uh, like you said, gives it credibility beyond just the like kind of feeling we all have that social media is a double-edged sword. I feel like right. a lot of us kind of realize like, oh yeah, social media, I spend too much time on it, but it also does a lot of good. And like having them kind of punch that home and say, do you want to hear how, how your newsfeed is created? Right. Um, because it is it's far more nefarious than you think it is. It absolutely is. And we now, now that this film exists, I mean, I, I felt the same way you did. You know, most of what I heard in this film, I felt like I either already knew in some way mm-hmm. or suspected. And then there were a few things that were downright just, oh my gosh, they just laid it out. And I didn't even think it was that bad. Or um, Yeah, and- like they, they bring it to another level of ramifications that you might not have thought. Like you already know that you're being manipulated here and here. Right. But you don't really think about, oh, and three steps down the road, what that means. The aspect of when they, the thing that really got me that I found fascinating, uh, I mean, this is one thing that really stands out to me, is when they said in the film that uh, uh, depending on where you live, what you search for on Google, it will give you different auto-filled mm-hmm. results based on where you live, based on yeah. what they think people in your area want to hear. Not necessarily what they need to hear, not necessarily even what they're searching for. And the, yeah. the, the example they gave of climate change and how it auto filled in depending on where you were searching from. And that to me is, compl- I mean, if, if you needed anything else to scream complete and utter psychological manipulation, that I think yeah. sums it up impeccably. Yeah. And I think that um, one one of the things that kind of stood out to me like while watching this of course I think of different people in my life I think of myself too but you know I kept thinking about um you know I know we've talked a bit about our our feelings towards capitalism Mm -hmm. and um you know the good that it has and the, the bad that it has and one of the things like I remember having conversations with people where they talk about like whether putting money at the center of all things is really a good idea and seeing that that's really the culprit here too. Um, and the heartbreaking thing about that, Michael, is that the, I think virtually every single one of the people that they interviewed for this, some of them came right out and said it, but I'm willing to bet that each and every one of them felt this, that they felt they were doing good. That they felt that what Facebook stood for and was about was about connecting people in an honest way. The one guy said the reason we invented the like button was to spread positivity. That's why there's no, that's why there was no dislike button. And now by withholding the like button or by withholding the results of somebody clicking a like button can cause the exact opposite effect. And where did that come from? It came from money. And my feelings on capitalism have changed drastically over the last three to five years. Yeah. Um, because, and, and that's largely because now I firmly believe that capitalism without checks and balances, without oversight, is one of the most dangerous things in the world. Because then the and thing- And that's what the this movie is making the case for. 
yeah, the only thing that becomes more important than humanity is the dollar. Yeah. And if we don't have some sort of oversight into that to make sure that we are being ethical, that we're being moral, that we are being humanitarian in some way while going after that almighty dollar, then people get hurt. Yeah. And like the part where they were talking about how if you're, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. I love and that. Then, yeah. and, and that what these companies are making money off of is the, it's not just the data that they're mining from us. Mm-hmm. It is, it is the, like when they make the case for like, it is about the manipulation of people. It's about them. It's about being able to move populations in their opinions without them realizing it's happening. Right. It's it, that one gentleman that gave that example of if, if you, if you said, you know, uh, I'll give you a million dollars if you can just cause the, uh, the entire public of the world to change by 1%. Yeah, that would be the best million dollars a human being ever, the most effective million dollars that anybody has ever spent in the history of humankind, because that is massive. And you're right, that's what it's about. It's, It's about incremental changes in our behavior on a global scale, which up until Facebook, no technology has ever had that ability, not to this degree. Yeah. And when they started talking about, um, because I had not read as much about uh, the way that Facebook and uh, social media was being leveraged in other countries to literally cause the overthrows of governments, right? To yeah. cause coups and civil wars and all of this stuff. And now here in America, that's what we see, like the polarization. Um, I've seen it happen to because, as much as I use social media, I, I don't. I don't do a lot of that unfriending stuff. I don't do so like, I still have a lot of friends that are kind of on both sides of like, say a political spectrum or, you know, whatever the subject matter is. And I have watched both my conservative friends and my liberal friends no longer be able to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. I've watched them grow to hate each other over the last five years. Um, And, and both of them are so convinced that they're right. And so, and like when it started talking about what social media is doing is it's eroding the fabric of our, of our society to where we no longer talk to each other anymore. We right. simply assume everything about those people because like the example they said, well, well, how can this person think that thing? I think this, when I look at my Facebook feed and it's this, 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 and this, right. And it's because that person's Facebook feed is different than yours. It's completely different. We're in two completely different bubbles. Yeah. Two, two complete, and that's where I think the, the reason that I feel that, uh, and I think one of the reasons you said you reached out to me about doing this podcast with you was that um, I had put out a post after watching this saying that I believe every human being on the planet should watch this documentary. Every yeah. human being on this planet should watch this documentary, regardless of age. And in fact, younger i mean okay maybe not three to five years old you know something like that but (laughs) but i mean parents should be watching this with their children because the truth of the matter is as adults with this information out there we don't have an excuse anymore there's no excuse because now we know we're being manipulated so if we choose to accept and enable that and if we choose to say, you know what, okay, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's not like it's, it's much like any other addiction. 
well, but mm-hmm. I can, I can handle it. I can control it. And yet, yeah. no, maybe we can't because you have no idea the degree to which we're being manipulated. If that's what they shared in, yeah. the, in this film, if that was what they were willing and able to legally share, yeah. how much more is there? We don't know. Yeah. And I, you know, I've, I've shared on the show before I've like, I, I have a very addictive personality. Um, I've been addicted to basically everything I've ever tried, <laughs> except for alcohol. <laughs> for some reason, that one doesn't get me. But uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, it's. And uh, I, uh, about a year ago, I started thinking of social media as a mirror. Instead of thinking of it as like a tool for connecting to people, I started realizing that if I if I just get on Facebook or especially one of them, uh, Instagram is an example I like to use. If you hop on Instagram, don't look at your feed, hop onto the search, the, the explore one, uh, and how it just brings up a bunch of pictures and lets you scroll through them or whatever. And I said, if you want to get a good idea of who you are, look at that. Mm. Cause that's what you look at. Cause that thing feeds back to you what it thinks you want to see. And, uh, you know, if you hop on there and you see nothing but sports cars, like maybe you have a sports car obsession that you gotta, you gotta think about. If you see nothing but half nude pics of teenagers, maybe you have, uh, an, a a nudity obsession that you didn't realize was there. Cause it's these things, it's, it's this way of highlighting what we do passively and not thinking because you know we're not around anybody or nobody can see what we're doing it's a it's a really telling thing when you just start watching your social media instead of like actively engaging with it it reveals a lot about your values um you know the i see which which friends come up more often those are the ones i'm probably investing the most in uh, you know, if you look at my friends list on Facebook, it's, you know, hundreds of people, but really I only ever see about probably 40 of 40 people's posts on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Where are those other ones? Uh, they're right. just getting shoved down because Facebook realizes that I don't, I'm not as interested in what they're doing in their lives. Or other people like you have not liked or commented yes. or shared those posts. So they figure, well, if those people didn't like it, then Michael he won't like it, like it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it just uh, really highlighted the way that that happens uh, for me in the, in the movie and the, it makes it even harder to watch some of those government hearings with like Mark Zuckerberg Mm -hmm. and stuff and stuff, because it's just like, dude, you're being so dishonest right now, acting like acting like the thing that you invented is passive that it's just like everything else in the world um, when clearly when you, it's when not. you know that it's not, yes. I mean, again, anybody watching, you know, those hearings and saying, yeah, Oh yeah, that, that poor Mark Zuckerberg, man, he just, he doesn't even, he doesn't realize, you know, what this thing's become and but, bullshit, bullshit. The, 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 yeah. the buck stops there and we have to, but but more than the buck stopping there, the buck stops here. The buck stops with us. The buck stops with us 
understanding it. This film exists now as an educational platform in my mind. It goes well beyond a piece of entertainment you watch on Netflix. This is something like a Schindler's List that everybody should be required to watch. Or like Inconvenient Truth or something like that. Inconvenient Truth. You know, these things that are just, this should be watched by every human being for understanding. And then it is up to us to take that responsibility and go, all right, I'm logging on to Facebook. Be aware of how it's going to attempt to manipulate me. And am I going to allow that to happen? Or am I even going to stay on Facebook? And to also like be aware of like seeing how serious the results of what happened. Because again, they talk about the manipulation of our elections. They talk, and not just in America, they talk about this oh, yeah. in other countries too, Yep. Um, of how this is happening. It's like, my knowledge of what's going on on social media, this is like the step that maybe I never took it to before, should inform who I vote for. Right. What is this politician's stance on social media platforms and oversight and that sort of thing? Is it a priority for them? Because if it's not, then we're barking up the wrong tree. Right. Uh, like, it just is It really... <laughs> in a lot of ways highlighted for me how ludicrous, I mean, we just, what was it last night or the night before was the, um, the debate uh, between Biden and Trump and uh, the, the so-called debate. And it just really highlighted for me that none of the, n- nobody in, uh, in politics right now is talking about this change going on in our country. I, I was a Yang ganger. Um, I was a big fan of Andrew Yang because I think he's the only, he was the only one. And I hope that with the next election that we get more people like him who are thinking in this vein of what technology is doing to our society. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it is, it is part of the, it is part of all of these problems. It's part of the racism problem. It's part of the gender, gender inequality problems. It it's absolutely pa- is. It's yeah, part when, when, when people who are, who are, who, who on any way, shape, or form social media thinks you might not be as sympathetic toward Black Lives Matter as other people might be, mm-hmm. they're probably getting bombarded with things on Facebook and social media and so forth that are saying, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter is all about destruction and about uh, burning and, and pillaging mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. When that the rest of the world who really follows this stuff and understands what black lives matter is, is about knows that that's not it at all. Yeah. And, and the thing is like, I've been talking to people like, you know, on, you know, on the left, you know, who villainize people on the right and -hmm. saying like, Hey, I know that there are bad people out there. There's yeah. The KKK and the proud boys, there are those guys out there. But there are also like all of these people that I know don't know what to think because I grew up with these people and they're not seeing the same things that you're seeing. They're not stupid. They're, they just haven't seen it. The, the, you know, until you see it, you don't see it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the catch 22. Um, we're living in a fascinating time right now where anybody can profess themselves to be an expert about anything. It used to be before the internet that, you know, for you to be an expert, you had to be published. You had to have 
done dissertations. You because actually it got took published. work to get published. It took work and it took money and it took effort. And you had to have companies behind you that were, you know, getting you published. So there was a sense of respectability and, and, and um, perceived knowledge there. Now I can get out there. And if one uh, video I, I have a podcast, viral, <laughs> right, then I can be considered an expert in some area that I know nothing about, and might have completely ulterior motives for getting the wrong message out to the there to the world. It comes down to each of us as individuals to have the responsibility to seek out knowledge and fact. Seek out knowledge. In fact, we can't just because something's written anywhere in paper, in mm-hmm. print, in books, on the internet does not mean it's truth anymore. Not that it necessarily ever did guarantee it, but at least there were things in place that caused it to be much more likely to be factual than today. Yeah. And that that general feeling, because they, they, they were also talking about, um, you know, how suicide rates and self-harming rates in teenagers have, has risen dramatically since, uh, since social media basically came online Mm -hmm. and the, you know, some of it is I'm sure like the self-image stuff, but people, I think also undervalue just how difficult it is to grow up in a world where you don't know what's true. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't right. know who you can lean on. You don't know who you can trust. Um, you know, I, I've said a couple of times where, you know, we look at the, the mental health crisis and especially I see like some, what's happening with young men and like these shootings at schools and things like that, like the mental health crisis that's kind of spilling over into our public square now. That stuff is happening that stuff is starting online and spilling over. Like he, he was talking about how, you know, these rates of uh, suicide have gone up and he's like, so, but that, the tr- he's like, it doesn't just stop there. Like this kid kills themselves and causes this trauma to their family, mm-hmm. you know, to four or five other people, all of their friends, like it, it just, it's this exponential, like trauma machine yeah. that starts. Um, it, that was, I thought, one of the most powerful things, again, that this film did, because I, I, I think what, it, what this film did that I respect so much as a documentary is, or any any piece of film, I guess, to a degree, but especially to a documentary uh, like this that has a lot of important information to get to people that is going to be applicable to literally every human being that has a cell phone, every human being that has a computer, this is going to be relevant to. And what they did that I, I think they did so well is they humanized everything about this process. They humanized the family that this is affecting and showing all different sides of it from the older daughter who understands the dangers of this and yet still has a phone, but she's careful and, 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 and she still ends up getting arrested at the end, just like her brother. Right, exactly. And then her brother, of course, who gets affected in so many different ways, the, uh, the, the, the younger sister who I thought was, it was just heartbreaking to, to see what was happening there. And then also humanizing 
the algorithm. Now that's the thing I really, you, you touched on this earlier in having, a, we could have gone into this and people would have been checking out by droves watching this. They would have clicked away from it as soon as it got to, well, here's how the algorithm works. It does this and this, <laughs> and then this piece of code goes over here and does this piece of code that ties in with this piece of code. Everyone's gone, right? Yeah. Um, except for your diehard tech, I, I would have kept watching it. Yeah. But what they did was they said, no, you know what? Let's put a human connective um, personality, if you will, or actually kind of three personalities working yeah. as one and show how this algorithm works in a way that every human being can understand how well, it is manipulating you. And I think in, even in the way they did it, it, it was no less accurate. That's the thing. I don't well, think it highlights it sacrificing accuracy. It highlights the fact that, um, you know, I think for a lot of people, you know, they think of computers as tools, as like robots. You tell it what to do and it does, you know, it, and it's an impersonal thing. Mm -hmm. And what it did is it highlights that algorithms are humans attempting to put values into a computer so that they're not just static robotic things, that they do have they they truly do like a, a computer doesn't value a zero or a one over each other like it does zero and one doesn't mean anything like it doesn't care which right but an algorithm does an algorithm they give it a value to seek after and the value that has been sought after is profit is mm -hmm. money and in the real world we see what happens when greed and corporate profits run amok you know one of the things that they said in the movie is like uh is that a dead tree is worth more than a live tree mm -hmm. and that's why they're going to keep cutting them down mm -hmm. uh and he's like well at this point these algorithms have realized that a person on a phone is more valuable than a person who's not and right. so that's what they're keyed in to do is to keep you on that phone. Right. Um, At all costs. And that's where the humanity, I think, is stripped out of. That's where I think humanity ends or any resemblance of humanity ends in an algorithm is that an algorithm can't ever, at least not now, not until we get some sort of supercomputing AI, uh, it cannot differentiate between what is the mat? What is the global effect of this? What is the ethical mm -hmm. ramifications of this? What is the psychological toil that this has? All it has is, okay, yep, this got the desired result. And I'm not even sure that the desired result to the algorithm, if you will, is necessarily profitability. It's the, the, the ultimate goal of the algorithm is manipulative change. Yeah. It want the, as long as they know that this algorithm can cause change, then we as humans can figure out how to use that to bring in the money, to bring in the profitability. And yeah. and it's not until we have an ethical and see. And I am I I I should have prefaced this at the beginning because anyone that's listening to this that's checked out because Todd's a conspiracy theorist. Um, <laughs> I should have said from the very beginning, I am as far from a conspiracy theorist as you can get. In fact, until yeah. until six months to a year ago, 
I, I would just turn away whenever somebody started talking the way I'm talking right now, which is these groups of people that are sitting around trying to figure out ways to manipulate the masses. This is mind control on the most epic scale, more epic scale than I think yeah. we could have considered possible by this time. It is no less accurate and powerful than what 1984, well, what, 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 uh, you know, movies it's, have been prophesizing the, in books for years. It's the danger we weren't watching for. Right. Like the um, the one graph that he shows where he talks about like the thing, everybody has always been dubious of technology. Um, I mean, that story goes as far back as the Tower of Babel, mm-hmm. you know, like, and everybody has always known that technology is a double-edged sword and it could destroy us if we just let it run amok. But I think in the past, in the past, like we were afraid of World War Three and global nuclear annihilation and what happens when AI is so powerful that it can, you know, cause Judgment Day, uh, Terminator style and the machines rise up and take over and we get the Matrix and all of that kind of stuff. And he's like, that, that was the thing that we feared. We feared when would machines be able to overcome human strength? When would their strength be greater than our strength? And he said, but what we weren't watching for and what's already happened is machines have gotten strong enough to be stronger than our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And they're exploiting our weaknesses. They don't have to be stronger than our strength. They just have to be stronger than our, it's the weakest link. The chain is only as strong as the weakest link. And our weakest link is, our desire to be accepted, to be loved, and and it's exploiting, and to be connected to people, it's exploiting that. And the fact that we have we we have invited this into our lives, it's like the the, the analogy I like to use is that you know it's you you often hear that most violent crimes in the world are perpetrated by somebody that the victim knew. Mm-hmm. It's somebody that was, you know, a lot of break-ins and stuff like that and violence. It's the person was let into the house because they knew them. Yeah. And that's what we are ultimately doing here with this is we are letting this into our home and saying, go ahead and manipulate me. Go ahead. And, and again, for us as adults, we are more potentially equipped through context and experience to maybe be able to see that this is happening and alter our behaviors in ways to be able to utilize it without letting it control us. But people who their entire existence or 90% of their existence is defined by those likes, defined Mm -hmm. by those comments, defined by people sharing and all that stuff, then it's no wonder that suicide rates for teenagers have skyrocketed. When you see yeah. the graphs put up against each other, the rise in in suicides amongst teenagers and the rise of social media and seeing how parallel they are to each other, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that is the sole reason, but I think right. we would all be kidding ourselves if we didn't say it was a massive contributing factor. Yeah. And they're not as equipped to be able to say, I understand I'm being manipulated here. I understand that my friends like me more than I'm perceiving here because they're not, because Facebook is deciding not to show me the likes right away. Yeah. Do you, 
kind of like, you know, kind of move into a little uh, kind of another section here. Do you, what would you say, as far as like takeaways go, like, have you thought about like, how has this affected like what, how you think of your social media and what you do online? Cause you know, we're both online fairly often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does it have you rethinking how you approach your online presence? Um, it, it is less so before myself and more for um, it's irking me more and more every day that I'm supporting this. That yeah. by being on Facebook, I'm supporting Facebook. I am now a number in that, in that machine that yeah. is making them money. So, but for myself, uh, I could be kidding myself. It's entirely possible I'm kidding myself. But I don't feel like I'm quite as susceptible to the manipulation because A, I'm not on social media all that much. I'm only on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I've never been on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram, Snap, none of those. Twitter seems Facebook. to be one of the angrier places. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And and I'm 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 not on it all that often. I'm probably on it, I would say, an average, not including work stuff, because I do some mm-hmm. work things on social media for Facebook groups that I'm involved in and stuff like yeah, that, which yeah. is can also which be I do too. Um, but not including that, just for personal use, I'm probably on social media for a total of maybe thirty to forty-five minutes a day throughout the day, checking things here and there. I'm not as on it nearly as much as an awful lot of people See, are. I, I was lucky; I dodged the Twitter bullet uh, for some reason. It has never, it's never been a thing that I found terribly interesting. Yeah, same here. Um. You know, like I, I feel like the the few people that I did follow were either bad at it, <laughs> or because I because I felt like all I was ever getting was like, "Hey, come, you know, you know, buy my new book, buy right. this, buy that," yeah. and I was just like, "This is it's just an advertisement, it's another marketing machine." Yeah, so I just got off of that. Instagram and Facebook are the ones for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like they're one in the same pretty much now. So yeah, yeah, yeah they've really integrated they've integrated a lot of things so that once you do it on one, it shows up on the other. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram, I still, I don't know. I Instagram, I feel like is still a positive presence in my life. <laughs> okay. Facebook. I, I don't think that's true. That's one of the reasons I deleted it is it just makes me, um, it's funny that they, in the movie, like the, um, the, the radical group, that he's he kind of gets caught up in mm-hmm. is the uh what do they call it the radical center or something like that the, yeah, yeah i don't remember extreme some... center or something like that yeah and you know because they're they're obviously trying to keep it from being a right a left or right issue thing. yeah but i'm like you know in a way that is kind of how i am hmm. like and if you look at my if you look at my facebook feed you know you get a little bit of everything in there but the spirit of being angry at both the radical right and the radical left that's there which it still makes stokes you, that anger which and makes, makes you feel Michael, good about being centered you are oh see now and and the thing is okay yeah, <laughs> yeah man we're, we're online right now i know facebook and google are hearing you say this right they're hearing you say okay here's the conspiracy theory theorist that i am not <laughs> coming out okay is hearing you say this, but see you are prime target politically then because you're the person that both the left and the right want to convince 
because more and more the left and right are realizing don't bother with the other side we're not going to pull any of the extremes over we got to go for those michael mcdonald's they're the ones (laughs) that are in the middle we can get them yeah yeah so watch it michael facebook's coming for you (laughs) (laughs) facebook's coming for all of us it's coming for all of us man yeah it's it's funny one of my friends the other day uh you know and this is before i even saw the movie he posted uh Oh man, memes, dude. Memes are the worst. Oh, uh, yeah. Posted some meme about, you know, if you take the red ants and black ants and put them in a jar together, they'll get along fine until you shake the jar. And then they'll fight each other, thinking that each other are the enemy, not mm-hmm. realizing the enemy is the guy shaking the jar. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we're going to we're going to set aside the fact that that is scientifically so inaccurate. It's ridiculous because <laughs> ants are extremely territorial. Right. <laughs> but, right. but it's a great it's a it's a, it's a wonderful if I inaccurate post, analogy. I, I posted under that. Under, I said, yeah. And Facebook is the jar. Actually, and, and he's Zuckerberg like, is the jar. And he's like, he's, <laughs> or, yeah. or Zuckerberg's the one shaking it. Yeah, it's it. And it really, in a lot of ways, is that. Yeah. We because are... he's got the power. I mean, he yeah. still runs that company. He has the power to say, nope, this is not what it's going to be about. I mean, I don't know exactly how the board of directors works at Facebook, but my limited understanding is he is still the primary shareholder yeah. of that company, Yeah, which gives him the power. And he's choosing to allow it to continue going this way. Be- why? Because money, money. There's no other reason this isn't what he set out to make with Facebook. It's not. He didn't set out to make this a money-making machine. He yeah. had no idea what this could become. It's what it's become. Yeah. And and this is, I mean, a topic maybe for another time. Um, and this is just something that I've been thinking about lately. Um, you know, as I see more and more of, uh, we, we used to talk a lot about like black and white thinking and you know, fundamentalism and how it kind of looks at everything as either in or out, mm-hmm. good or bad. Zeros or ones, binary. And I wonder if part of the difficulty is that computers literally think in zeros and ones. They mm-hmm. literally think in those categories. And if that's not part of the re- reason that we are becoming more and more, it feels like we're becoming more and more like them. Yeah. Like people are thinking more and more like computers because computers have so much to do with how we think through these devices. So are the computers the virus? Are the computer programs the virus of our society that are in in essence infecting us as a global uh, organism to -hmm. become more binary? You know, we're talking about somebody's gay or straight, somebody's man or woman, someone is... Uh, Black Lives Matter or or or, or, a, or a KKK member, a KKK member, that as there, if there's nothing in between, there can be nothing in between. We're becoming binary. And are we being programmed that way by the very programs that are the yeah. virus? In our, wow. There you go. <laughs> I know we're not talking the movie much here, but I feel like we're solving all the work. No, we're at least no, pointing out. The world. It's funny, though, because like I, uh, <laughs> you know, the movie Dune is coming out soon. Oh, I can't wait. And so I, Villeneuve, baby. I'm 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 rereading it. Yeah. And one of the things that like jumped out at me, it, it has jumped out at me a couple of times 
is in the first few chapters, they talk about how one of the laws of the galaxy is not making a computer in a human likeness. Yes. And a big part of the way that that world works is the fact that there are not computers who are smarter than humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how if we, because one of the one of the things in the movie too, they're like, you know, who's to blame for this? Who's to blame for this? And they're all like, you know, which person? Is there any? And everybody's like, I don't know who. And I'm just like, the answer is us. Yeah. We're to blame for it. We're because we've we've decided thinking is too hard and mm-hmm. so we're having we've just we're telling devices we're letting devices think for us yep. you know uh one of the what was i watching the other day where they were talking about um i think it was uh where they were say, saying like we how come we have the sum total of human knowledge at our fingertips and we're all so dumb <laughs> and I, my answer to that is because the knowledge is at our fingertips and not in our head. Exactly. And it's the difference between having knowledge, having access to knowledge and understanding what to do with said knowledge. And yeah, you're right. And I, I see it. I see it in people I know there. I'll be having a discussion with them and I'll say, oh, what's that movie that was or, you know, or what's that, that, that politicians in the, Oh, I don't know. Let me Google it. And I'm like, no, no, no. Think of it. Just, just, just figure this out amongst ourselves. We can remember because yeah. we're training our brains or our brains are being trained <laughs> to not have to think anymore. And to give up, if it doesn't come to your mind in a nanosecond, give up. Give up, yep, and move on to something else or just Google it and see we are being set up for, again, I sound like a conspiracy theorist. I sound like one of those crazy people I would have made fun of a year ago, but I'm telling you, we've got mass mind control going on on a global scale and we can't unring that bell. All we can do is try and get people to understand what the bell sound means. What does it mean? we have to take that personal responsibility. And I think that's what, yeah, you can't uninvent the cell phone. Right. Nope. But we can become wiser about how we use it. Um, you know, and I, I really think that that's one of the things that our, you know, our culture really needs kind of a resurgence of is a love of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we, I think, have been very infatuated by our technological prowess, our knowledge, um, what it has allowed us to do. And um, we've kind of outrun our wisdom in some ways. And, and we really just need to, uh, you know, take some time and slow down and, uh, and to, to think about things, which means turning off your phone, which means even like, uh, you know, one of the really convicting parts of this movie for me was YouTube. Cause I'm a YouTube guy. Like mm-hmm. I can watch YouTube all day and I'll talk all the time about how, like, it's so educational. I learn so much. I don't, but I also will watch fail videos till kingdom come. Sure. And like, that's one of the things in this movie is like, Oh, I'll throw a fail video up there. Yeah, exactly. Like, and yeah, I'm just like, right. Oh man, like I th- I've probably <laughs> seen that video. Sure, <laughs> like, right. Right. <laughs> I mean, we are at, a, at, a, at our core, we are, you know, psychological creatures and, and human psychology is something that we've been studying for hundreds and hundreds of years and have an awful lot of knowledge of. And now 
we're programming the computers to not only utilize the knowledge that we have of human psychology, but to, on a global and instantaneous scale, grow that knowledge exponentially with every minute that people yeah. are spending on social media. Where our knowledge of human, if we took the knowledge that we have, right? What good could we do from that? Can you what imagine if they were from? leveraging Facebook and Twitter to actually learn about the human psyche instead of exploit it? Right. Oh my gosh. That's like, where could psychology be today? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Dude, I know you have to go. So that's it. I mean, I've, I've got more to think about. We could do, we could do eight podcasts about this. I mean, <laughs> right? I, I, so I, I, for me, I just, I would love to leave it with anyone that's watching this, listening to this uh, podcast that has not watched the social dilemma, please do yourself a favor, watch it, watch it with your family, watch it with your friends, encourage your friends and family members to watch it and then have a dialogue about it. And you know what? Have that dialogue on Facebook. Let's make Facebook talk about Facebook. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, right. Let's make it happen. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Todd, so much for uh, coming on the show and having a conversation with me. My I, uh, I, have re I really appreciate you bringing this movie to my attention. My pleasure. Um, and thanks for thinking of me to do it. I love talking with you anytime. Uh, this has been a real blast for me. I mean, I can't believe how fast the time went. So. Yeah, it always does. <laughs> it always does. Thanks, Michael. All right. Take care, Todd. Well, obviously, the world is ending soon, so break out your tinfoil hats and let us know what you think by calling in or emailing 616-287-0275 for the voice line, or you can email me, michael, at truemythmedia.com with your written-out thoughts. Don't forget to snap your SIM cards after calling and mask your IP when emailing. Even if the world descends into madness at the hands of Facebook and Twitter, you can count on me to be podcasting from my underground bunker, where I'll be watching movies and talking about them on the next True Myth Media podcast. Farewell, friends. Thank you.